and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman. And I'm Rachel Yehuda. Of YCT Rabbinical School. And in each episode, we explore an aspect of psychology based on the Torah reading of the week. So today we're talking about Vayeshev. We're getting close to the end of the book of Genesis, and the drama is escalating. The family has grown, the tribe is large, it's complex, there is a lot of tension and favoritism, the drama continues. And in the middle of this, there is a story with an entirely different tone, a story that demonstrates the call to responsibility. Well, so we've been dealing until now with one-on-one, two brothers. And now Jacob has 12 sons. And so this is the first time that we're going to be dealing with a very large set of characters, not just one brother against another brother, not the older and the younger and the younger and the older. There's, there's a lot of different characters here. And whereas the oldest son is really Reuben, Joseph is the oldest son of Rachel, the beloved wife. But he is, the, in fact, the 11th son <laughs> that uh, Jacob had. So you have a very interesting story of, again, the father, Jacob, showing favoritism to Joseph, giving him a a multicolored coat, clearly showing that he's the favorite. And you have uh, Joseph having dreams (laughs) that are oracle dreams that are, again, um, dreams that he does not keep to himself about how he's really going to be the king and all of the brothers will serve him. He is, in fact, going to be the head of the family. Of course, this engenders a tremendous amount of resentment, and the brothers want to do something to solve the problem. So it almost, and th- th- what they do is they plot to kill Joseph and to lie to their father. And uh, some of the brothers act better than others. Reuben and Yehuda distinguish themselves from the mob by coming up with different schemes to save Joseph, but ultimately he goes it down into slavery. And once again, we have that theme of quick reversals of fortune. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jacob's dream of the ladder with the angels going up and down, and this has just happened to his beloved son, Joseph. He was the most favored with the beautiful technicolor dream coat, and now he is in the pit. Eventually, the brothers decide to sell Joseph and not kill him, and then eventually that leads Joseph to be in Egypt. And there's one person that emerges as the brother that is going to take responsibility for his actions. Right, and the way he takes responsibility, and that brother is Judah, the fourth brother, is not directly in the story of Joseph and his sale into slavery. It's actually in an entirely different story and a different kind of responsibility. And it's the story of Yehuda and Tamar. Yehuda has an obligation to marry his widowed daughter-in-law Tamar. He doesn't. She needing to have a child by the man who, is, who she is supposed to be married to dresses up as a prostitute. He consorts with her, gives her identifying signs, and then she disappears. And three months later, when she shows up pregnant, he says, well, she should be killed for being an adulteress. And Tamar says who she is. She shows the signs that Yehuda has given her. 
and proves, in fact, that he is the father of her, of the child that she is carrying. And Yehuda doesn't shirk his responsibility. He doesn't make any excuses. He very directly, in plain language, says she is right, and he marries her. And then, of course, the story goes into destiny because their offspring is King David. Right. I guess what this story tells us is that the whole um, struggle that we've had in Genesis about who gets the blessing and who is the primogenitor and who is the heir, I think what what these stories are trying to suggest to us is that right. it isn't about birth order. Right. It's not about birth order. It's about action. All of these stories have been reversing what has been traditional. None of these stories have the oldest son as being the heir. It's a kind of really remarkable um, undermining of the old order for this new order. So I think we see a version of this every day right now where people feel that what's happened before just is going to continue happening and that they can't change the way it's been. Whether they haven't been the favored child, whether they feel they've gotten bad breaks in life, and it's just going to keep on going. And the story of Yehuda taking responsibility and putting a stop and using words, there's no violence in this story. It's an anti-violence story. Yes, and even though Joseph is the one that had the dream that all of the um, all of the sheaves of wheat would bow down to him, to the big sheaf of wheat, that was is not ultimately what happened in the grand scheme of things. That was a temporary story. That's right. That might have happened as a one-off when the brothers had to come to Egypt when there was a famine in the land and get their food and, re and reconnect with Joseph. So that dream might have happened, but that wasn't the penultimate happening in history. The penultimate thing that happens in history doesn't get dreamed. It's created by people's actions and people's integrity and the way that they step up for responsibility. You have many situations here where Judah takes responsibility, and each situation is really illustrative of something very, very difficult. So when he decides to convince his brothers to sell Joseph rather than kill Joseph, I mean, that is a really true heroic quality. It reminds me of combat veterans who are in a war zone, who are given orders that they don't like to execute. Mm. And it's very, very hard to take a less violent solution that might save someone's life when the easier solution is just to get rid of the problem. And so it really does take a lot of leadership and bravery to kind of talk down a group of people that want to kill the enemy and convince them that there might be a better solution, especially when it's 10 against 1 or some kind of odds, odds like that. And so being able to be a single voice when everybody else wants to do a more violent option is certainly a sign of true leadership. In the Tamar story, Judah's admission is going to out him as somebody who behaved in a sexual way with a harlot. That might have been very accepted at the time, or maybe not, but it's certainly probably a private thing that he didn't want to broadcast. And the idea of being able to say, Tamar was right, 
and I was wrong when your admission potentially can ruin your reputation is also a tremendous sign of leadership. So these are two kind of different stories of taking responsibility, but they're the kind of qualities that we want in a king. They have nothing to do with birth order, but we want a king that will be able to be a lone voice of the less violent option against a mob that is very violent. And we want a king also to not be more concerned about his reputation than the fact that he might have hurt somebody else who deserves to be acknowledged. Thanks for listening to the Pastoral Parsha with Dr. Michelle Friedman and Dr. Rachel Yehuda. This podcast is brought to you by Shibat Chovevei Torah. To learn more, visit yctorah.org.